Hello and welcome to Energy 360, the podcast from the Energy and National Security Program at CSIS. I'm your host, Lisa Hyland. This week, we're bringing you a special energy and geopolitics episode. Frank Verastro with the Energy Program and Haim Malka with the Middle East Program here at CSIS sat down on April 10th to talk about developments in Algeria and Libya. Algeria has seen protests calling for new leadership that is truly independent. The ruling officials have made some gestures, including that the current president is stepping down. However, protest organizers do not view these as enough to create a new government that is truly independent and free from corruption, so protests have continued. Libya has also seen fighting and protests erupt in these recent days. Events in both Algeria and Libya have ripple effects for the global oil markets. Let's turn it over to Frankenheim to help make sense of these recent developments. So what can you tell us about the state of play and the events leading up to the transfer of power? I wouldn't say there's a transfer of power yet, Frank. Uh, What's happened is that the president has resigned after significant pressure from the street and protesters, but also pressure from the army chief of staff who came out very publicly against the president, his former ally. So what we've seen so far is that the military has pushed out Bouteflika and some of the president's allies in order to preserve as much power as it can for itself and preserve the power structure that has ruled Algeria for the last several decades. So it's essentially sacrifice Bouteflika in order to maintain the system. So it's the optics at this point. So far, it's the optics, but the people aren't buying it. And what we've seen is even after Bouteflika resigned, protesters out on the street, students, academics, people from across Algerian society coming out calling for real change. People understand that the military is trying to essentially rearrange the deck chairs in order to maintain their control. And they are calling for real structural change in the way power is distributed and wielded in Algeria, which really sets the protesters and the military on a collision course because they're they're at a, a bit of a standoff at the moment. The protesters and the military have very different visions for what this transition will look like, and they have very different visions for where Algeria should be headed in terms of changing the way power is distributed. So we're at a bit of a standoff at the moment, and I don't see how it gets resolved. Okay, so that actually brings up two really good questions. So the first is we have an activist generation, right? So half the population is under the age 30. Unemployment rate for that sector is 30%. They've seen this incrementalism before, and they don't think it's nearly enough, as you've indicated. But the country's constitution provides that the Speaker of the National Assembly takes the power in the absence of the president until a new election is held. So how does that work? Because Ben Salah is also (laughs) regarded as part of this ruling regime that they want to get rid of. Right. So this is the conflict over the transition that I've talked about. The military wants to see a transition based on the constitution, and they've invoked different articles of the constitution. The majority of the protesters are calling for a political inclusive transition. Now, what does that mean? Well, they haven't clearly articulated what it means. But what is clear is that they don't want a transitionary process that's governed by the Constitution, which they think is illegitimate. And they don't want a transitionary process which is overseen by the same state institutions that have maintained power over the last generation. 
and they don't want to see a military-led transitionary process because what the Constitution lays out, the Speaker of the, um, the Upper House of Parliament becoming a transitionary president, that process, that constitutional process, essentially locks in the status quo and locks in the power structure, and that's what people are afraid of. Okay, so in this interim period, so that's not totally chaotic, the military has stepped in. Saleh had a, had a role in having the president step down, is not well-liked, certainly by the group of the population that wants to change in the government. As you go forward, I mean, just to set up the next round of elections, how does that work mechanically? Exactly. It's a big, <laughs> big problem. It's a big question. How does the military oversee a transitionary process which leads to an election when the process is seen as completely illegitimate by the vast majority of the protesters. That's the problem that Algeria faces now. How can you have this process of elections governed by all of the old institutions that people have rejected to begin with? So this is a bit like the Arab Spring, right? But there, there are distinctions as well. But the process for going forward, is it outside intervention? What do you, how do you square this circle? Outside intervention would be a huge Awful. mistake yeah. in Algeria. Algerians are fiercely independent. They guard their sovereignty and value their sovereignty and national independence more than most other countries, in part because they fought a very bloody war of independence against the French. So they are very wary of any outside interference. The Algerians are going to want U.S. and international support for the decisions that they make, but they're not looking for U.S. or European to step input in. right. to step in, to give them advice, to tell them how they should run their affairs. So we have to be very careful about any kind of public pronouncements or pressure on the various levers of power in Algeria. So in this uncertain interim period, there's ministries, right? There's Sonatrek, since this is an energy podcast as well as geopolitical. What happens to those people that have been put in place? that are already holding down those jobs? There's going to be some purging at the top levels, and we've already seen a lot of shuffling, and I imagine that we'll see more reshuffling at the top of the ministries. Um, the bureaucracies tend to have a life of their own and sort of operate on autopilot, but the leadership of the ministries are, um, are going to be in flux, and we should expect that in the energy sector as well. One of the things that we've seen develop over the last couple of weeks is arrests of key businessmen that were allies of President Bouteflika and his clan, and the confiscation of passports. There are calls for corruption trials, and the military is going to have to give something to the people when it comes to corruption. There's going to be some element of score settling. There's going to be an element of revenge. But there also has to be some element of giving some kind of concession to the people who want to see trials of key figures implicated in corruption and business scandals and taking advantage of their political positions for their own financial gain. So that's going to be something to watch, and that's going to give some indication of how the inter-elite conflict in Algeria is going to play out over the weeks and months ahead. But it's also going to give us some indication of uh, how the military sees its role in managing the situation at the moment. How's the judiciary reviewed? Well, the judiciary has traditionally been controlled by the, by the uh, president. So um, uh, 
the head of the constitutional court was appointed by Bouteflika. Uh, and uh, so we can't really talk about an independent judiciary in Algeria. However, the associations of lawyers and magistrates and judges have been very active in calling for change. They've been active in the protest movement since the very beginning, almost. And so that's a potential pull of opposition and and potential leadership for a future protest movement as well. So Frank, since this is an energy podcast and energy is so critical in Algeria, what are the implications of all this unrest and uncertainty for energy production and oil markets? So, so far, in part due to the remoteness of the energy installations, uh, the oil and gas production has not been impacted, right? But going forward, while it's been tangential to the discussion, the outcomes can be <laughs> fairly impactful. Um, Algeria's crude production is roughly a million barrels a day. They produce gas and condensates that are five to 600,000 uh, above that. Um, their gas consumption has been rising, so their exports have been falling, which is an issue they have to deal with. Their OPEC allocation is, is a million, um, so we don't see a lot of upside or an impact there on that side. The country has no nuclear. It's got uh, marginal supplies of renewables. Oil and gas provide 50% or 60% of government revenues, and they're 90% of total exports. So what happens in that sector is really important to the country as well going forward. And as you pointed out, for the ruling class, so during times of high prices, it gave the government a lot of revenue to work with, uh, to buy people off, build programs, help the population. But since 2014, they've been digging into their reserves because they don't have the money to spend. And so the price collapse has already impacted it, and that, coupled with lower production and lower gas sales, has impacted the government's ability to do what it used to do. So that, I think, is really important. Um, the oil in the country is not dissimilar to the light oil we have in the United States. So to that extent, losing a portion of it in supply, except for you know Eurasia and European customers, there's other sources of light oil out there that could come in and replace it, including from the United States. But individual producers and refiners will be impacted as they scramble for different supplies, alternative supplies. I mean, I think this, this question of energy production and, and rising consumption is sort of a fundamental question for Algeria because energy is so important because it makes up 60% of government revenues, more than 90% of export earnings. What happens in the energy sector will affect stability in Algeria, and what happens in Algeria will affect stability across North Africa and the Mediterranean. But this is a fundamental question of how Algeria moves at some point from an energy-dependent economy to a more diversified economy, and whether the social welfare rentier state can continue uh, in, in the next political model that, that we might see evolve into Algeria. Interestingly, the protests over the last two months have not been about economic issues. They've been about power. They've been about national pride. They've been about dignity. But at some point, the protests are going to start up again with the socioeconomic demands, which is what we've seen playing out in Algeria over the last five to six years. Thousands of micro-protests across the country every year making demands for jobs in the public sector, greater subsidies, housing, et cetera. So this economic question 
about the political economy of Algeria is, is critical for the long-term stability of Algeria. And that's where I think both the interim arrangement and then the longer-term construction. So Sonatrack, big national champion that has joint venture partners with most of the international majors, uh, both in Algeria and around the world. How those contracts are treated, this is not dissimilar totally from what we're seeing in Venezuela. And the uncertainty is really causing people to rethink. So um, there's a chance that when Algeria gets its act together, depending how long that window is, right, that the market that they leave will not be the market that they come back to. And the political risk, it's not about the resources in the ground, it's about the above, above ground issues and how you manage them. That there's other lower risk, quicker cycle opportunities out there, which makes it that much more difficult. Um, one other piece I want to bring you back to, so uh, Libya has also been in the news, uh, also a light oil producer. So far, uh, General Heftar, we've seen him move into certain areas, uh, going towards Tripoli. Production, again, has not been impacted yet, but it's a larger volume. Can you shed any light on what's going on in Libya? Well, Heftar's strategy is to seize control of as much of the oil assets as possible. And we've seen him move through the CERT area where he uh, wrestled control over uh, oil production, uh, oil export facilities uh, from from some militias. Now he's on his way to Tripoli. He's He's assaulted the outskirts of Tripoli. I think it's questionable whether uh, he can actually take over Tripoli and, and hold Tripoli, but his objective is certainly to move into Tripoli, seize as many of the institutions that he can, in particular the financial and the energy-related institutions, and potentially move uh, west to some of the uh, oil export terminals west of Tripoli. He wants to control the oil wealth because the oil wealth controls Libya. Whether he's going to be able to do that in the short term is questionable. And what we might be seeing in, uh, in Tripoli is more of a standoff whether, rather than uh, any direct victory by, by either side. And we've seen that for the last year and a half. I mean, Libya has gone up and down in terms of production. I would say that the impact on the oil market over the last week and a half, certainly with the moves to get an agreement with China on trade, U.S. economic numbers, uh, production profile in the U.S. still growing but growing slower, uh, OPEC deciding to to hold back production situation in Venezuela. The market has turned from a bear to a more bullish market at this point, and prices earlier this week were at the $70 mark for Brent. And certainly the geopolitics is underlying and supporting that uncertainty. So this is something we're both going to have to watch. Uh, it seems like it's in flux. It's evolving rapidly. And stay tuned, and I'm sure we'll come back and have this conversation again. I'm sure we will. Always yeah. great to talk to you, Frank. Thank you. You as well, Hi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. As always, thanks for listening to Energy 360. Find more episodes on CSIS.org or on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at CSIS Energy. 